Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. I want to say hello to May Wilkinson and Chuck Wally over on our Twitter tweet chat. They are being joined by Lori Brianese Frank, who will be joining us for the second segment of the interview. So hang, jump over there on Twitter with the hashtag TCK. Tonight we have a double dose of the Coffee Clutch. Two great guests, um, both involved in helping the children with special needs with eating difficulties. My first guest we've been waiting to have on, it's Miss Jean Nickel. She is the creator of The Eating Game. And, um, you know, The Eating Game was initially developed to address nutritional challenges faced by many children with autism, but it really is helpful for so many children with other problems, picky eaters, um, those that have restricted diets. And um, it's a fun and creative way to really help families that are struggling. So please welcome Jean Nickel. Thank you. How are you tonight? I'm great, thanks. Very good. Terrific. Uh, we're going to be um, doing the first um, segment, and um, then later on, uh, Lori Brianese Frank is going to join us, and she's going to be talking about um, the, how to successfully transition into a gluten-free, casein-free diet. Um, but really, I think a lot of kids, um, you, you, the parents, I don't even think realize um, that they have eating problems. And this is something you've really, um, you know, spent a lot of time creating. But first I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in special needs. Well, I started out um, my working career with a degree in nutrition and was teaching junior high school. I did that for three years, and then I wanted to go to elementary and very quickly found that I was especially attracted to and did a good job, I think, working with kids with special needs. And so that's where I found myself for 25 years um, until I retired, and that was uh, nine years ago. Um, I have a degree in nutrition and education and special education, um, and 25 years working with children and teens and young adults with autism. So I bring a lot of experience (laughs) to the eating game, and at the time that I created it, I was semi-retired and actually had gone back to work for three years as an early interventionist, and that's what I was doing when I created the eating game. So it kind of all came together, my education and and all my little career bits um, all came together to help me to invent this game. And there was a little boy that touched you also. Tell us a little bit about him. Um, yeah, the little boy that I invented this for, his name was Ethan, and he was seven years old. Um, he was the son of a friend. And they were very, very frustrated um, trying to get him to eat healthier meals and a wider variety of foods. And he would self-restrict himself to just a handful of foods at a time. And we thought for a long time that it was sensory issues. We knew he didn't have any allergies or any medical issues, but... Even with the sensory, when we looked at all that he had eaten in his short lifetime, seemed to have crossed all those lines of sensory issues. So it was more than that. Um, Anyway, I developed the eating game for him, and my intent originally was to create one of something that would help him, and it did. Um, It was very successful. Um, He loved it, and in 15 months he was eating over 200 new foods. And four and a half years later, today, he eats almost everything, but he still uses the eating game. And he likes it because it allows him to be in control of his choices. And with the eating game, meals are predictable, and he likes that. So, so what just... is the eating game? Pardon? Is this like a board game? What is, what is no. the And I just want the callers, um, the listeners to know that um, we are going to be giving um, – away a game, one of the eating games um you can call in now 646-595-2881 and um in a few minutes we'll we'll pick a caller okay that's great the eating game um in its original format is organized in a three ring binder and it is a series of five daily meal planning charts that are based on Canada's food guide which by the way is very very similar to Um, the American food pyramid, or now I understand you have a plate to describe what you should be eating at every every day. And um, 
and I've compared it to other countries too, and it's very similar. So the charting, the daily planning charts, are based on what Canada's Food Guide would recommend for a certain age group. So there are five different charts. starts at age two and goes up to age 18. And then there are um, about 200 pictures of food. Now the food pictures and the charting are color-coded um, to go together. So there are four food groups, fruit and vegetables, um, grains, meat and alternatives, and milk and alternatives. And they're color-coded. Um, to match the chart. So when the child uses the eating game, they're, they're choosing pictures of foods that their parents have presented to them. Um, so ultimately, the parents are setting the parameters for the choices. The parent is in control, which, which is not often the case with picky eaters. Um, right. But this allows the parent to be in control initially of providing the varied food choices for their child. And from there, you, you allow the child to be totally in control of what they choose. And they pick from the food pictures and stick them to the chart. Everything has Velcro. It's all made of um, heavy laminated cardstock with Velcro buttons. So the pictures that they choose, um, they match the colors and stick them on the chart. And they have three meals and three snacks planned for the day. Um, so it becomes, it's a very structured program. Um, what's nice about it for kids, especially kids on the spectrum, is that the the structure doesn't change from year to year or chart to chart. The number of servings of food would increase as the children age, but the basic structure is the same. And so then it's the same day after day after day and becomes part of a daily routine that they really like. Right, because you know a lot of kids, especially kids on the spectrum, do like um, the routine and they like the consistency. Yeah. Um, you know, so I could see how this could be really helpful for the kids. It is. It's not the first answer, though, and I th I think I need to to say that um, before a parent would consider the eating game for their child or any other therapy or tool or strategy, I think it's important to rule out some other significant possibilities. Um, for the presenting eating challenges. And the first thing I would say is you really have to seek out medical advice to see if there's any serious medical issue involved with the digestive system. And that's everything from putting it in their mouth and swallowing it to regular bowel function. Um, the second thing is to be clear that there are no food allergies or food intolerances because if a child is, is eating or forced to be eating foods that they're allergic to or they don't tolerate well, they're going to experience discomfort and pain. And, and perhaps that's the reason why they don't want to eat them. And kids who don't communicate well probably wouldn't be able to tell you that. And the right. third thing, and something that's, that's very prevalent among um, kids with autism, is that there may be significant sensory issues related to mealtime. And I think the first thing you have to look at is the environment. Um, mealtime environment is not always the same. Um, it's not always in the same physical place. The players aren't always the same. The conversation tends to be very different. Um, it might be very noisy. It might be too bright a room. It might not be bright enough. So all of those sensory issues have to be looked at carefully and addressed. Um, then there's all the sensory issues that would be related to food, uh, the temperature of food, the color of the food, the taste of it. They might not be able to tolerate anything spicy or anything salty. Um, for some kids, the shape of the food is significant. They don't want to eat anything that's round, or they only right. want round foods. Um, and the way the food is presented um, can be problematic for some kids in that the visual presentation of it has food touching on the plate and they can't tolerate that. So they may have to eat food separately, but that's an easy thing to, to answer. So those three things, I think, really have to be addressed before you look at a special diet, a special therapy or strategy, and before you look at the eating game. Um, but once you've dealt with all those issues and you've dismissed them um, or dismissed them, then the eating game should be considered. And it's a great support for 
a newly developed special diet if you discover your child has allergies. It's a great support for the gluten-free, casein-free diet um, because the pictures of the grain products in the eating game would, in that case, be a picture of products made with gluten-free grains. So the bread would would not be made with wheat flour, but it's still bread. Mm -hmm. And the pictures of the dairy products would have been made with milk alternatives, not with cow's milk. So it it very nicely will support a special diet. And, you know, Um, it also goes along with, um, you know, um, a lot of kids use social stories and cards. Mm-hmm. And it's the visual cueing. Um, we've had a few callers on hold for quite a while, so let's give away the giveaway tonight. Um, okay. Area code six three six. Hi, Marianne. I uh, it's May. Hey, May. How are you? Well, I don't really count because I'm a moderator, but I am, <laughs> <laughs> but I am just so excited, Jean. You were one of I, I was one of your first followers on on Twitter a couple of years ago, so I've been a real fan and. And we, you know, we here live on the, what I call the pea diet, which is Pop-Tarts, pizza, pasta, and peanut butter. And mm-hmm. so, the, <laughs> so the eating game it sounds fascinating to me, even though my son has a number of sensory issues. But I also um, mentor a number of families, and I do have um, a family with a teenage daughter who is really having problems, um, the whole family is having problems with eating. And she's not dyslexic. She is on the autism spectrum, but it's it's very difficult to, to get her to eat and to eat a wide variety of foods. Mm-hmm. So um, if there are other callers, then please go ahead and give them the free copy. But for um, this other family, if you would choose to send one to me, I will make sure I get it into her hands. How does that okay. sound? Okay. Now, is she is she verbal? Does she read and write? Very, very verbal, very high functioning. But I, I think she has a lot of anxiety issues. And, um, and, and what I like about your description of the eating game is it makes things predictable. Yeah. So she may be one of these kids that doesn't want to eat because she's so nervous, and then she gets she gets so hungry that she she hasn't planned mm-hmm. anything, so she'll just grab whatever's out of the pantry. And and she's thin; she's not overweight or anything like that. It, it, she's just a really great kid. How old um, is she? She is fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Oh. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I have another product that sometimes fifteen-year-olds don't like to use pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mind you, there are many 40-year-olds who do, but sometimes they don't. But I have another product that's um, a dry erasable chart. It's the same charting as in the eating game, but instead of using pictures, you actually write on the chart what you're going to have to eat, and it's the same charting that's in the eating game. So it's still the recommendations of the food guide, and you write on it and erase it every day and reuse it. Um, and that's sometimes better for the teenagers. Um, so we'll put one of those in, too. Uh, thank you so much, Jean. Now, one more question. I've always heard that teenage girls with eating disorders sometimes, you know, don't eat because it's a control thing. Mm-hmm. So do you find that giving children control over the planning function makes them feel better about their eating and feel better in general because it gives them the control back on their shoulders? That was actually the biggest need that I was addressing when I invented the eating game for the little boy that I invented it for. Mm -hmm. The big issues with him and I think with many kids who don't have any of these other disabilities is the fact that they need to be in control and they learn to control with food. Toddlers learn that. Mm-hmm. And gaining control in their environment is just a natural process in development. And they learn that they can control with food, and so they do. And for the kids with autism, the significant benefit to that is that it makes mealtime more predictable. They now know what they're going to be eating all the time. And if it's only a handful of foods, they can manage that. And so now there are no more surprises. So with the eating game, my intent was to make it so that the child was very much in control. And the little boy that I created it for 
learned that the very first day he chose his two favorite foods for breakfast, hot dogs and rice. (laughs) And his mother called me and she said, I can't give him hot dogs and rice for breakfast. And I said, you have to, because you told him it was his choice. And he couldn't believe the control that he had, that they would actually let him do that. And so we won the very first meal with him. (laughs) But I think the big thing is control so that they know what's coming. Um, so, yes, indeed, I think that's very important. Thank you very much. And thank you, Marianne, for letting me um, on on the call. I appreciate it. Well, stay on. Stay on oh, with yeah. us because you're, you're going to, yeah, definitely, because, you know, we have, um, you know, you're more familiar with this than I am. I mean, for me, I, I know that you have different versions um, of the game. Um, I would assume they're for different ages or different situations. Um, but, you know, I think many kids, you know, a, a lot of times parents just think, you know, they're just a finicky kid. Oh, you know, they just like pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does a parent begin? What would be some red flags? Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, a, a child that, you know, obviously has autism. But there are a lot of children that have mild sensory issues that have eating problems. Right. And, you and you know, if you if you take if you make careful observation over a period of time and record everything that they eat and don't eat, you can usually look at that list of foods and say, oh, my goodness, they won't eat anything that's chewy. Or I never realized that, but they won't eat anything that's red. But you really right. have to watch carefully, observe, and and I think record because we, we just can't remember. It's too much to remember. And there's too much going on besides food. Um, but it, if it's sensory, I think you'll be able to figure it out. And I think it, this is also would be something great for nonverbal children. Oh, it is. Because it's a visual game. How, how, how does that work for them? There are only two skills needed for this game, and you can start it with two-year-olds. Um, you, the child has to be able to make a choice. They have to know that if you present them with two or more pictures of something, that they can pick one. And they have to be able to match four basic colors, red, yellow, blue, and green. That's all that's required. What do the the colors symbolize, the different food groups? That's right. The the green pictures are the fruit and vegetables, the yellow pictures are grains, the red pictures are meat, and the blue pictures are milk. And the charts have colored squares on them. So they match the color of the picture to the color on the chart. And... I have a a Facebook page, actually. I have two, a personal page where people can find me by my name. And I also have an eating game page. And on the eating game page, I have photo albums of all the different components of the eating game. And so you see the photo and I describe it and I describe how it works. So it's, it's really a neat place to go to. Sometimes we just have a hard time listening to me and visualizing it. Um, but you can see the pictures on on Facebook. Okay. And where where would a parent go to get the eating game? Um, you would well, if you live near me, you would come to the market on the weekends, and I sell it there until the middle of September. Um, but otherwise, you can buy it um, from my website, and the website is www. The eating game, all one word, dot ca. Um, and at the website, there's lots of information um, about the eating game and um, eating in general. Uh, and also, you can order it. There's the original eating game that comes in a three ring binder, and it has the five charts and all the pictures. Um, and text a booklet that describes um, how to use the game and suggestions for getting started. Um, And then um, recently I created what I call my Make-It-Yourself kit, and it comes with all the ingredients you need to make your own eating game. The only thing it doesn't have is the binder, but it has the charts, and it has the pages of pictures, and you have to cut them out and it provides you with the Velcro, and you cut it and put it on the charts and on the pictures. And it was a way for me to present the eating game to people um, a little bit more cost-effectively. 
and it seems to be quite popular. Um, so it gives now, you a chi- the same game. Yeah. Um, now, a child, let's say they, they have to buy lunch at school. Um, how could they incorporate that into the game? Because I know a lot of kids, you know, they have a hard time transitioning in, in all aspects of their life. So is is there any way that you can incorporate that into the eating game as well? Well, if they have to buy their lunch at school, if there's no alternative, i.e. they can't take their own, um, then I would I would go to the school as a parent if you don't already get it. And I know in our schools here they send home a menu for the year and they have like a six-week rotation and they have the menu for every day and they usually have choices. So with the child you could use the menu for tomorrow to pick what you're going to have um, for lunch tomorrow at school. And and hopefully the pictures are there, but I have to say that each of these um, eating games is individually made, and so I have made adaptions to it for people, um, and one adaption I've made is adding pictures um, so that if there was something missing in the 200 pictures that you didn't have, if you contacted me, I might be able to get it for you. Um oh. That that's a plus, but I would for school I would use a school menu. Jane, right. when when you send your eating game out, do you also include tips for parents as to you know? Um, so if if the child is not readily adapting to it, what could you do, and why the child might be pushing back? Or are there some some parent instructions and tips there with you, or or is that part of um, the entire package with the with the website? Um, there there is a a full page um, in the binder and in the booklet um, with suggestions for getting started and suggestions for using the eating game, um, and and I think probably most of that would be covered. It's it's very important for parents to sit with this eating game all by themselves before their child ever sees it <laughs> to to look at it and figure out how they're going to work it for themselves. I suggest how you use it, but mm-hmm. it, it's very adaptable and you should know that if you feel you have to adapt it, then that's a good thing. Go ahead and do it. It's not meant to as, you know, one size fits all. You have to adapt it to to work for you and for your child. Um, but there are lots of suggestions and and I might add that anybody who has questions or concerns um, getting started with the eating game can contact me through my website. Mm-hmm. Um, if you live in Canada and the U.S., I can make a phone call to you and we can talk about it. Um, if you live outside Canada and the U.S., because the eating game is being used internationally, um, I can use Skype to mm-hmm. talk with you about the eating game and how it's working for you. But you you have to really go over it first yourself, and you have to use strategies that you know work for your child. If social stories is a great thing for you, then you could write a social story about the eating game and introduce it that way. Um, you could use other strategies and reinforcers that you know work for your child to to help you to introduce it. Once you've got it introduced, generally it works fairly well because all the components of the eating game are things that these kids really need, um, mm-hmm. and they realize that right away. So, um, but I'm certainly available and um, love to talk to people about it. So, well, come on down have... to St. Louis. It's 107 <laughs> with the heat index, and knowing that you're an elementary school teacher, uh, and you could probably get basically, you know, my son to jump through hoops. Come on down and let's see if we can get him to eat some type of fruit or vegetable that is not labeled as Jello. So <laughs> I think it's wonderful. That's so generous of you, Jean, to offer yourself as a as a consultant and to open yourself up like that. That's that's awesome. It really no, I is. Really, I really believe in this, and and I know from testimonials that it works. Um, and so I'd like to be able to help people to make it work. And the thing you have to know, and this is the same about about any new strategy or any new therapy that you're doing, you have to be persistent and you have to be consistent with it. If you're not, then it might not work for you. Um, but 
it's a real behavior change that you're dealing with here. So we never manage to change behaviors of any kind without being persistent and very consistent. Um, with those ingredients mixed with the eating game, I, I really think you will be successful, um, particularly if you use strategies and reinforcers that already work for you. Um, and once the kids get going with it, they'll like it. And, and you know, I think that you know, once they master this and they have um, control, it just seems to me that other um, areas where they're having uh, difficulties would also improve. So it's really, it's just a fantastic thing that you've created, and I really want to thank you for joining us. And like May said, I mean, you're just so approachable. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely, I'm sure, going to be having a great response to, um, you know, to, to your interview. So thank you. And, again, where is the market? If someone's in Canada, where can they go to the market to see you? <laughs> the market is in Picto, Nova Scotia. It's a okay. weekend market from June until September, open all day Saturday and Sunday. And um, I not only have the eating game, but this year I added to my booth a very large autism awareness section. Um, that I'm really having a lot of fun with, and I'm meeting some fantastic people. Um, so if anybody's within driving distance, drop in and see us. Okay. Well, Jean, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for everything you're doing. Okay. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Uh, now, next up, um, you know, all of us hear about the gluten-free, casein-free diet. And I know for myself that I tried it, and I just... Couldn't, I, I, I couldn't succeed in transitioning my family because really it was a family thing. Um, and Lori Briannese Frank um, is the president of Apples to Oranges. And, you know, if you've been waiting to try the diet, this may be the time for you because Lori is starting an eight-week seminar a webinar where she's going to be teaching families how to successfully transition into the gluten-free, casein-free diet. And um, she's here tonight. She's going to be talking about the benefits that, I mean, thousands and thousands of parents are having enormous success with their children with autism, attention deficit disorder, sensory processing disorder, um, you know, and, and children that just have intolerance. So, you know, I'm just thrilled that Lori's joining us. Lori, are you on the air with us now? I'm here. Terrific. May, are you on also? I am. Hi, Lori. Oh. Hi. So, you know, Lori, I wanted to start off just by, um, you know, first of all, tell us a little bit about you, do because you wear many hats. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, apples to oranges, and also, you know, you also have Sensory Store Canada. But, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then, you know, I'm really just really curious about this diet. Sure. Um, well, like you said, I have uh, sort of two different things going on. I do the dietary coaching through Apples to Oranges, and then I also um, have Sensory Store Canada where uh, I carry some products that are related to um, autism and ADHD and sensory processing disorder and, and those kinds of related disorders. So those are kind of the two things that I do, and I came into doing that um, because of my son. Uh, my oldest son has autism, and uh, I can't tell you how much I've learned from him in the last few years. And that's that's what's brought me to where I am today. You know, um, when I'm thinking about the diet, I'm thinking, well, is this something that um, could help all children? I mean, you know, is it the type of thing where even if you didn't have an intolerance, um, that you would see improvement. So, you know, what would be some indicators that this um, diet may work? Are there indicators? Um, I don't know that it would make a difference for all children. Um, not necessarily all children are intolerant of the same things. Um, certainly, I think many of us, although we don't know it, are intolerant of dairy. Um, I think it's more prevalent than we know. But um, sort of some indicators that your child might have some food intolerances are uh, a big one is behavioral issues. Um, you might see some physical signs of it, so dark circles under the eyes. Uh, they might have a hard time putting on weight. They might have some skin issues. Uh, sometimes asthma is related to food intolerances 
or eczema is it related to food intolerances. So food really matters. It It's far more important than a lot of us give um, it credit for. And uh, so a lot of kids can benefit not necessarily just from a gluten-free, casein-free diet, but just from looking at what they're eating in general and eating a healthy, mostly whole foods diet. Um, and then, you know, if there seems to be particular issues, trying to target and hone in on what exactly it is that they're eating that might be bothering them. I would assume that you need to remove foods one at a time. Is that correct? Yeah, unless you're going to get some testing done, um, which is available and, and is a quicker, easier approach, but then there's, of course, a cost involved. Um, but if you're just trying to figure out, you think you might have an idea, then yes, absolutely do one at a time um, for a couple reasons. If you take out several things, then you're not going to know which one in particular is um, causing improvements. And the other reason you would want to do it one at a time is because you don't want to be overwhelmed. If you're feeling overwhelmed by these big changes, you're not going to keep up with them. And um, when you do remove a food item, you need to stick with it for a while because it's not going to be an immediate change. Um, so, yeah, one at a time is definitely advisable. What would, you, what, what would uh, constitute a while? Like say you decide you're going to remove dairy, how long would you remove would, it to see if you if you if you have improvement? I would say at least a month. Give it at least a month, and and I always tell parents to when you remove something, make yourself up a quick little chart. You know, list sort of the symptoms that you see in your child. So maybe mood, maybe skin, maybe bowel issues. You know, make yourself up a quick little chart. Monday to Sunday, list you put your symptoms down the other side, and just every day make a quick little note of how those symptoms were that day, and do it for at least a month so that you can see specifically whether anything is improving, what is improving, how much has it improved, what's not improving, so that you get a really good picture. Otherwise, sometimes I find you know you get going on these things and you kind of go hmm. I can't remember if she used to do that or he used to be that way or or is it better or so it's really important to try and track it as well while you're doing it. Yeah, you know I I know I've tried it. And you know it was yeah. just a disaster, <laughs> but um you know I I'm definitely going to be uh listening in on the, your webinar because um which we're going to talk about soon actually we're giving that away so the listeners you can call yeah. in 646-595-2881. Um you know, you mentioned before testing. Is this regular mm-hmm. allergy testing, like scratch testing, that you're talking about, or no, is there a different no, type of testing different. you're referring to? Yeah, um, there are different kinds of allergy and intolerance testing. Uh, one that is usually recommended for in this for for restricted diets is one that's testing an immune response, and it's not the same as um, an anaphylactic response that you would get from a food, a true food allergy, where you're getting an immediate response in some way, so you're getting hives or, or you're getting uh, breathing issues. This right, is that's a different blood has. test. Yeah. So this is a different blood test that is measuring an immune response. So basically what it's telling you is that when you eat this food, your body thinks it's a foreign invader of some kind. It doesn't like it. And so your body is launching an immune response against it. And that's what that kind of testing is going to tell you. So it's got much vaguer symptoms usually. The symptoms are often hard to pinpoint. So this test is is good for that. You know, the the, the um, response in the autism mm-hmm. community to the gluten-free diet is just incredible. Um, it so is. Why don't you yeah. tell? Why don't you explain? Um, you know, just take your time and explain to parents why this diet works, 
and what improvements they could see. And I say could because, as you said, it's not universal. But, you know, when you find something that works, it's it's like a miracle. It is. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, it really is. Well, there is no um, absolute scientific conclusion as to why this diet works. They have, there's certainly been studies done that is narrowing it down and pointing towards particular reasons. Currently, what they feel is is happening is that children who have an intolerance to gluten and casein aren't digesting it properly. And so when they don't digest it properly, it's not breaking down all of the way that it should. And it's sort of stalling at a certain point. And the point that it's stalling at the the proteins in the gluten and casein are actually morphine-like substances. So those substances then are are affecting the child in literally a, a drug-like way. It's kind of, you know, we talk about brain fog with kids with autism or or in an inability to focus or um, that they're kind of tuned out. And, and so they're thinking that because the proteins aren't breaking down all the way and they're stalling at this particular play, time in the, in the digestive process, that it's really affecting the child's brain and, and overall functioning. So then when you remove those foods, you're removing the effect that they have on the child. And, you know, it's very important to point out it's, it's not a cure for autism or for any other um, disorder. But what parents find is that it makes their child more available to learn and more available to the world around them. It's kind of like drawing back the curtain that they've been living behind. And so now all those other interventions they might be doing with them, behavior interventions or OT or PT or whatever, you know, social skills and those kinds of things, the child then becomes more available to learn from those things. Whereas before, because their body is so affected by the food they're eating, they're really just not available, as easily available to learn from those interventions. So, right. and, um, and I would imagine they what, feel sick too, which would, would create behavioral issues as well. They probably don't they even do, realize yeah, and and often because you know sometimes kids are nonverbal or they're not able to communicate well, um, they're not able to say I feel sick and and I feel awful after I eat these things or, but what so what you might see instead are behavior problems so meltdowns and and high levels of frustration, or some kids even you see. Um, them throwing themselves against things. You know, I, I I met a child once who he would throw himself over the back of a couch so that he would be doubled over at the stomach. And when we got him going on the diet, he stopped doing that. And we started to wonder, well, maybe he was feeling physical pain and he just couldn't tell us, and that was his way of trying to alleviate the pain he was feeling. So it's it's very interesting to see how it presents differently in all different kids and to try and, you know, piece together the the little bits of the puzzle and hints and clues that they give us to try and figure out what's going on for them. You know, starting this diet, I mean, I think for some people it probably is effortless. I guess it depends on if you were healthy eaters to begin with, which my home is not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, we we didn't so, always eat like this either, so <laughs> I totally understand where parents are coming from in trying to transition to this. Because, you um, know, for so, me, I, I had to transition my whole family. And at the time when I tried it, um, you know, I had two teenagers, two kids, you know, me, my husband, yeah. grandma. I'm like you. I'm the sandwich uh, generation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we really needed to transition the whole family. I found, because, you know, I couldn't have junk food in the house and then not have my little one eat it, you know. So you're going to be presenting a webinar, and it's eight weeks, and you're going to be teaching families how to successfully transition into this diet. So in the 10-minute version, 
Um, yeah. How do how do we get started? I mean, really, how does a family? Do you need to buy organic? You know, because it's also costly too. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I go into in the webinar. You don't necessarily need to spend a lot of money to do this. There's a much simpler, easier way to do it. And that's what I, I do with families. I give them all the tools and resources so that they're not having to go out and spend a fortune on specialty foods. There might still be a few things that they like to keep in the house of the specialty foods, but overall, I mean, I don't go to the specialty food store very often. I am able to do most of my shopping at my grocery store, and I don't spend every waking hour in the kitchen preparing food. You know, I've got some quick, easy, family-friendly meals that I make, and it doesn't take me any longer than it would take me to open packages and throw something in the oven for 20 minutes. So those are the kinds of things that I teach families that this is doable, and um but I do understand that when you are trying to figure it out on your own at the beginning, it's completely overwhelming. I mean, I was when I started doing this, I was completely overwhelmed. I was crying, I, you know. Oh, I would yes. spend hours at night on the Internet right. trying to figure it out. So that's why I'm doing this, because if you've got someone to take you through the steps in and give you real practical and realistic goals, that fit a busy family, then you can do it. And eventually, I mean, we've been doing it for four years now, and it's just so ordinary to us, and and it's not a big deal at all. And, you know, I was thinking... Go ahead, ahead, May. Oh, all right. Well, I was just wanting to kind of go back to some of the symptoms for this, and and I'm just wondering if... um, if there's any link with these food sensitivities and some sort of um, insulin resistance, um, and and I, I'm just, I, I know that sounds rather random, but uh, the the lethargic effect and from some of these foods and and the sensitivities mm-hmm. to to gluten and to dairy, which are both carbohydrates. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of diabetes in my in my family. I've had a couple of brushes with insulin resistance. So, is this could this be more than could, could, is there a theory that this some of these children may have um some type as yet unidentified of of some sort of diabetic disorder or or insulin resistance um I don't know for sure, but what I can tell you is I know that our healthcare professional our doctor has told me that she is surprised how many kids are coming in who are sensitive to gluten and casein and um, there's diabetes in the family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the child, but it's often there's the parents are diabetic. So I, I couldn't tell you for sure whether anything is being, whether they're doing studies into that or anything like that, but I do know that she has told me, she's noted that there does seem to be a prevalence of, of um, diabetes in families that are coming to her. So possibly. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not yeah. entirely um, out of the <laughs> no <laughs> strange question. All right. Thank you very much. Please continue. You're welcome. You know, I was I was thinking about um, for me. I was thinking, well, everything I seemed to look at when I was start trying to start this diet for my family had gluten in it. So mm-hmm. it seems that it just the easiest way for me to do it would have been to just, um, you know, eat. Fruits, vegetables, meats, you know, eliminate all pastas and uh, potatoes and bread. And, um, you know, is is that an alternative, an easier way to do it, or is it a lot more complicated than that? No, you can go that route. Um, you know, there's still quite a few carbs that you can have, you know, and a lot of kid-friendly ones, potatoes, rice, there's, there's brown rice pasta. Um, so... But it is; it does make it easier to kind of simplify the way that you eat, you know, to go back to basics. And in doing so, you often eliminate a lot of the things that you need to eliminate anyways. Right. And, you know, it it works, as you were saying, for like attention deficit disorder. And, um, you know, that that's a bit different 
you know, than the autism, which, like you said, it lowers the veil and it makes them more approachable and more available. Um, what improvements yes. are they seeing in kids with ADHD? With kids with ADHD, they're noticing um, a better ability to focus. Um, the hyperactivity is not as high. And the other thing with kids with ADHD, the other dietary component is often when you're taking out gluten and casein um, and going back to a simpler kind of diet, you're also then um, inadvertently removing dyes, uh, chemicals, preservatives, and studies are showing that those really do affect kids with ADHD. So it's kind of a combination of things that are happening for kids with ADHD who respond well to this diet. You know, what? I was just thinking back about what we were talking about with the testing. Now, are these mm -hmm. tests very definitive? So, you know, what I'm asking is, could someone not show positive um, for... Um, for the for an intolerance of either the casein or the gluten, and yet still benefit from the diet, or is that pretty unreliable? Um, I think you can still benefit from the diet, even if your your testing isn't showing that. Um, and really, it's harder to tell with kids, but I do know that I I know some adults who have gone gluten free just because they feel it's healthier. And they've said they do feel better after, and they don't necessarily have an intolerance to those foods. But they just find they have more energy and and their overall health is better. Um, so the testing is, you know, if the test says you, you uh, do have the intolerance, um, that is a definitive answer. But I do know that other people, you know, or they've eliminated dairy, and it's not necessarily that they have an intolerance, but... Um, they might find over the winter they're not getting as sick as often. You know, so I do find that people notice those kinds of things. But um, that's more adults that I've talked to about those kind of things. They've just made the choice uh, for health reasons. They they want to try it out, see if they feel better, and often they do. And, you know, you hear it all the time even with women and, young and uh, teen girls with polycystic ovarian syndrome that the diet is crucial. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, yeah, crucial. Um, so you know, that's I was thrilled to have you on because you know my daughters have uh, both. Um, one of my daughters has really allergies to just about everything. Um, oh wow! And I haven't, you know, and I was that was another thing I was wondering: do, do children um, that you see improvement with the diet? Do they often have other allergies? Like my daughter um, doesn't is neurotypical, um, but she has forty six out of forty eight things that she was tested for. She was oh, allergic oh to. And she has the epileptic shock, you know, over several times right. a year. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I was just wondering, do you find a correlation with kids that have environmental allergies? Yeah, it's not uncommon for kids who do well on this diet to um, also sometimes have intolerances or allergies to the other major allergens, so corn or soy or eggs. Sometimes I get kids coming in who have a combination of, of those things, and so we work on taking those out too. Uh, I know for my son, he also had some environmental allergies. Um, and then I have also noticed that kids who don't have um, like a true anaphylactic um, allergy but more of an intolerance, that when you take out the major offenders, over time, the other things that they may have previously been intolerant to, they're now fine with because their body's really? kind of healed and settled down and, and is more accepting of things now because you've taken out the worst offenders. Um, but anaphylactic allergies, I, you know, I'm not an expert on them, um, and so it's hard to say uh, what will happen in the future. We, you know, hopefully maybe she'll... Um, you know, as she gets older, some of those things will start to diminish for her. Because I do know right, well, that, you know, you hear about kids growing out of their allergies. Right. Well, she so. grew into them because she just started at 13. Ah. And when she turned 13, she developed severe asthma. Um, like I said, 46 out of 48 um, environmental allergens. Ah. And she became allergic to all but one antibiotic. Um, That's so, interesting. You know, it's very you almost severe. wonder if there's a 
a hormonal relationship there. Well, there is. There is, but I'm wondering yeah. if the diet could correct that because nothing else does. So, um, right. But, you know, I, I was how. what would you remove first? If you have a child with autism or behavioral issues, sensory processing, um, where would you suggest a parent start, removing the gluten or the casein? And um, what would you use as replacements for them? Because kids go to parties. Um, oh, yeah. You know, school yeah. with the, you know, these kids always with the, the cupcakes and, um, you know, yeah. where where should a parent start? I always tell parents to start with the one that they think is going to be easier. So if your child is a huge milk drinker and really loves their dairy, start with the gluten. Mm-hmm. Start with the one that's going to be less overwhelming because that's really a big goal in the transition is to try and keep the overwhelm as, as low as possible because that's going to help you keep going. Um, so there isn't sort of a magic... Uh, you know, you start with milk and then you do the, the gluten. You know, it, I always just tell parents, start with the one that you think is going to be easiest. Um, and then as far as replacements go, uh, you know, there's lots of milk alternatives. Uh, there's lots of gluten alternatives. And for um, older kids, or, or for even for younger kids, you know, they're going to birthday parties and those kinds of things. Luckily, there's lots of easy replacements. So for my son, for example, he's only seven, so he's going to lots of birthday parties. So I I grab a mix, a gluten-free cupcake mix at the grocery store. My regular grocery store sells it. I keep a bunch in the freezer, and on a birthday party day, I pull one out, make some frosting up quick and give it to him um, to take. And I send him with some plain chips, because often chips are served at the parties, and sometimes I might send him with, um, you know, uh, some candy that he can have or something. So I just always keep a few easy alternatives on hand for special occasions. For older kids, the one good thing about an older child is they might be more in tune with how they feel when they don't stick to the diet. So right. when they go to a party and they cheat and they have pizza and they feel gross for the next several days, and they're moody, and they're just, you know, a a mess, at least when they're older, you can kind of talk to them and say, this is what we're talking about. This is, so it's up to you. It's your choice. You know, do you want to feel like this, or do you want to take your gluten-free pizza with you? (laughs) You know, so... Again, and luckily there are alternatives. There's lots of really yummy, good alternatives to pizza and all those kinds of fun kid foods. So if if you can find a few things that your kid really loves, then send those when they are going out to the special events. Right. And, you know, and as you said, you know, for the for the younger ones, you have some control. And for the older ones, you know, you yeah. just that they self-advocate and that they have, you know, they realize they feel better. Um, so tell us about the webinar. And, sure. And, uh, you know, let a, t- tell us how you're going to help us because I'd like to try it. May, have you ever tried it? Yeah. Oh, it's embarrassing to say, but I, I did try it for one tiny minute. <laughs> I, oh, by the bought, same minute that I tried it. <laughs> I, I bought a mix, and I baked it, and it tasted terrible. And I thought, right. there is no right. one going to be able to do this. And I don't know if it was the oil that I used. and you know, so No, it's I, just, I, you know, I have to say, Lori, I've bought yeah. several mixes. Mm-hmm. I've bought several of the pizzas. I guess, do you just get used to it? Because, you know, for, for us, we tried them, and then, you know, we would wind up going to McDonald's because it was just horrible. <laughs> so are there any brands that we don't know about? We're in Canada, so the brands might be different. But, yeah, we have found a few brands we really like. But, um, you know, this story about, you know, I thought about it for a minute, and I, I was going to do it, and <laughs> it's a really common story that I hear from parents or we tried it for a few days or you know and we just couldn't do it and or I baked something and it was horrible there's no way my kids are going to eat that that's exactly why I'm doing the webinar because um, I have been doing this for so long and there really are easy yummy tasting things that you can make so 
with the webinar, what I'm doing is, you know, we meet online every week, and I go through the webinar, and there's an opportunity for people to chat with me and ask questions, and I take you step-by-step through the transition. And, you know, I'm a mom, I'm really busy, um, I'm raising a child with special needs and my other son as well, and so I totally get what families are going through on a daily basis. So I've I've set the program to be realistic and practical for families. And that's why we take eight weeks to do it. You know, it's not an overnight thing. It's not a one-week thing. We take our time. We go through steps. Every week I, I leave you with some homework to do. And then next week we meet back again. We talk about how the homework went. We move on to sort of the next step of the program. So that's what the eight weeks is going to be about, just, slowly moving families through the transition, answering questions along the way. Um, because your, the story, your story is so common <laughs> of people trying it. And without support and someone there who's done it before, it is hard to get going. Yeah, but Lori, the food is awful. It tastes like the stuff that you did when you were a little girl and you were baking things in your easy-bake <laughs> oven. It's horrible. Trust me, I have some. I have some wonderful recipes that taste really good. Well, where do you find your recipes? I serve, you know, a chocolate chip banana loaf to people who don't know that it's any different, and they love it. Or I serve birthday cake, and all the kids eat it. Um, I make pizza that the whole family will eat. You know, I. I when people come to my house, where can we find your recipes, Lori? Yeah. Well, May. I, what's that? <laughs> well, with, with the, the webinar, I give I give you tons of recipes. Okay. So um, okay. that's one way of getting them. The other way is I do have a blog, and uh, every Friday I post a recipe or two on there. And um, also this fall, I'm going to be coming out with a downloadable recipe book. Oh, neat! Terrific. So, yeah, so there's lots of different ways to to get it, but the webinar is definitely you know by the end of the webinar you will have almost all of my recipes, Lori, because could, I really want to be able to give people choice. And well, you know, I think there probably are really some some very good brands because you know my daughter we have uh, her birthday every year at the same Italian restaurant, and one of her friends was gluten intolerant, and you know I I I, I you know I asked the owner I said well you know do you have anything and he says oh we always have a gluten free pasta. You know, the kids were eating that more than the lasagna <laughs> and the ravioli. They absolutely wow. loved it. Yeah, so I have to find what that's brand great. that was. But, uh, Lori, why don't you give us um, your, your website? Blog. Yeah, that's it. Sure. It's um, apples to oranges, so apples, T-O, oranges, dot C-A. And uh, on there you can find out uh, all about the webinar and uh, about the services I offer. And then um, on there also you'll find a link to my blog. And uh, like I said, I I blog a few times a week, and every Friday is Foodie Friday, and uh, I put up a recipe or two. So, yeah, you should try one out and and, uh, see how it goes. (laughs) Well, I'll definitely try the banana loaf. (laughs) We'll start with that. (laughs) Well, Lori, I want to really thank you. I want to thank you for joining us. And... um, you You're know, we're, 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 you, there are so many parents that really would love to do this. I think we're just so intimidated and overwhelmed. And, um, you yeah. know, this just sounds like a fantastic way for us to get started. Yeah. So, um, you know, I thank you very much. I'd love to much. give away uh, one of the spots in the webinar to one of your people in the audience. We absolutely um, so will. So it's a free seat to the a virtual seat to the eight-week when webinar. When does start? Uh, September 20th. Okay, September 20th. Yeah. Okay, we will definitely And the, the other thing I'd like to offer the, um, your listeners is um, for the first nine people who email me, I will give them a free one-on-one phone consult. Um, so my email address is apples2orangesconsulting at gmail.com. So if you'd like a free uh, one-on-one phone consult about any kind of dietary issues with your child, um, send me an email and we'll set that up. Fantastic. We will definitely, and we'll have the um, the winner of the giveaway um, email you. Great. 
Okay. Well, good luck, and uh, you never know. I think you might see May and I in that seating for the webinar. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Eating our banana loaf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lori, thank you, and May, thank you. Thank you for uh-huh. both joining me. All right. All right. Goodbye. Thanks, Marianne. Um, Sunday, we have um, Louise Sattler is our guest. Um, unfortunately, we have a severe hurricane coming our way, and uh, we may not be able to be on air, but I will keep everyone posted. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, as we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here at the Coffee Clutch. Thank you for joining us.